You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Good morning and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best of Christian scholarship and apologetics, and today is no exception. Last week we talked about transhumanism and the coming of cyborgs and such, and today we're talking about transgenderism. And it just keeps going. What is transgenderism and what's going on with all these teens and preteens who are getting hormone treatments and puberty blockers. Is this very safe? What are the effects on people? To discuss all this, I've had invited on uh, Dr. Michelle Cortella. She's the executive director of the American College of Pediatricians. She was elected to the board of directors in 2005 and served two terms as president prior to being hired as the executive director. She was previously chair of several committees which enabled her to become one of the ACPEDS chief researchers, editors, and spokespersons. Her article, Gender Dysphoria in Children's Suppression of Debate, was published in the 2016 summer issue of Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons. Following this, she became one of the world's most outspoken critics of gender ideology and pediatrics. She is regularly consulted by many media news outlets. She serves on the advisory board of the Alliance for Therapeutic Choice and is chair of the Gender Identity Subcommittee for the Catholic Medical Association. She is a peer reviewer for the Journal of Issues in Law and Medicine and also for the Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons. She received her medical degree in 1994 from the University of Connecticut School of Medicine. She completed her residency in pediatrics in 1997 at the Connecticut Children's Medical Center in Hartford, Connecticut. She completed a fellowship in college health through the University of Virginia in 1999. After 15 years of group practice in rural Connecticut and Rhode Island, she left clinical practice to devote more time to family and the AC PEDS. Dr. Cortella and her husband are the proud parents of four children. Dr. Cortella, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I hope I'm pronouncing the name right, am I? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yes. Now, if my audience doesn't know much about you, tell us about how you got to be doing what you're doing. Uh, well, uh, you, you summed up my professional bio pretty pretty uh, easily. Um, uh, I'm one of those people who actually always wanted to be a doctor from the time I was in junior high, believe it or not. Um, I also always had a love of children. Uh, you know, I was one of those teenagers who volunteered as camp counselor and did oodles of babysitting and tutoring and um yeah, so my interest in, um, in in pediatrics, well, in me- my interest in medicine started real young, and um, in pediatrics, uh, that sort of fell out when I was in medical school doing different rotations through the various specialties. Um, and in terms of my passion, you know, for me personally, my my faith, I'm, I'm a, a practicing Catholic, so... Um, 
a, a desire to uh, help, you know, my fellow man that, that, that all comes into it in that fashion. But it was, it, so it's, it's a passion for science and um, uh, healing and, and, and children that's just been there from the get go. Okay. Well, a lot of us do hear news about transgenderism nowadays. Some of us might not know as much about gender dysphoria, but what is gender dysphoria? Sure. Um, I, I think um, I think it might be important first, uh, first of all, to to say from the get go that um, uh, sex uh, is is definitely binary, male or female, and Gender, you know, most, a lot of people, I think, use gender as a synonym for sex to mean male, female, which it, it certainly does. But, um, but thanks to political correctness, gender now also means um, a person's social identity, which the activists claim could be male, female or something in between. And if you go on Facebook, I think there are now like 112 different genders. Probably more on Tumblr. Oh, probably more, right. <laughs> so uh, it's it's important to be aware of the fact that, that sex and gender are not simply synonyms. Um, but when we talk about gender dysphoria, uh, we specifically mean a person who is emotionally distressed about their sex because they identify as something other than their sex. So that's a true, uh, it's a true uh, psychiatric diagnosis. But um, again, medicine has become extremely politicized. It is not considered a disorder because the person's thinking does not match reality. It's only considered a disorder because the person is upset, is emotionally uh, suffering. So a man who desperately wants to be a woman or actually believes he is a woman, uh, he only has a disorder if he's upset about that. And the activists say, if you can go ahead and give that man uh, estrogen and surgeries to make him impersonate a woman, to make him appear to be a woman, and that makes him feel relief. Well, you fixed him. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have to say, when I hear about those kinds of things, it doesn't make much sense. Like, I think there's a condition where the person is convinced they are really dead, and everyone around them can tell, no, you're not. Or another one, such as if my wife and I ever went to Israel, and I'm wandering around, and I start getting some ideas and come back and start proclaiming, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, which is actually called Jerusalem Syndrome. Every single one of those conditions, people would look at it and say, you're not, you're thinking wrongly. Why is this one treated differently? Yeah, you're right. Um, so, it, I mean, to sum up what you just said, a fixed false belief is a delusion unless it has something to do with sex. So the, the, the reason, I mean, the short answer, the, the reason transgenderism is being promoted as a normal human condition uh, is because this is all part of the sexual revolution. Um, 
just plain and simple. It's it's the continuation of um, uh, sort of the abolition of the differences between the sexes. Um, it's it goes down. It's trying to argue um, that the body doesn't matter. That a person is really uh, that people are really whatever they think they are on the inside. It's it's uh, so this isn't science. It's Gnostic pagan belief, this mind, mind, body duality. Um, and this is why um, actually you, you actually will uh, can find you can Google um, trans, uh, transgenderism and transhumanism uh, connections. Because if you think about it, okay, if, if all a man has to do is say, I am a woman to be a woman, then, I mean, that's, then there's, there's not such a big leap from that to saying, oh, my consciousness can be uploaded to the framework or, you know, or I can be turned into a cyborg and know that's, that's who I really am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I graduated from high school in 1999, and I can pretty easily guess that even back then that some guys would have been willing to say very easily, oh yes, yes, I'm a girl, I identify as a girl just for a chance to sneak into the locker room and shower with girls. Mm. Right, and we know that still happens. You know, Target did was the first large chain to... Uh, open rest uh, the changing rooms to any sex and and voyeurism, you know, increased there. And there are other examples as well. And women's prisons and shelter uh, domestic uh, violence uh, shelters. Uh, so you're right. Yeah, but you were talking about sex that one has at birth. But isn't it just the case that you know that's a yeah a birth assigned sex at the time that we're told i mean isn't that what what's really going on right the activists have the, the activists live in this fantasy world where um apparently uh doctors um we're gods and we assign sex at at birth uh it's completely ludicrous um you know bio 101 any middle school child should be able to tell you that um, at fertilization, if a sperm has a Y chromosome and fertilizes an egg, you're going to have a male embryo because the genes on that Y chromosome determine uh, the maleness, <laughs> d- d- determine that that embryo is a boy. And it becomes evident on ultrasound by eight weeks gestation. So, um, I mean, sex is determined at fertilization by genes. It is recognized on ultrasound and acknowledged at birth. Yeah, but, I mean, Dr. Cortell, aren't there some cases though where it, it is arbitrary? I mean, like intersex, where sometimes there are people who have both of them. I mean, so doesn't that show that there are, there are some gray lines somewhere? It's it's interesting. It's also unfortunate that um, transgender activists are using um, they're using people who have very rare disorders of sex development to um, basically demand uh, special political rights. Um, 
so there there are only you can only have you either have uh, a testicle or an ovary a sperm or ovum there are only two gonads two different gonads or two different reproductive systems therefore sex is binary now um it is true that maybe one in every 5,000 births, there may be a, um, a congenital disorder that affects the reproductive system, but it never creates a third um, sex cell or a third reproductive system. Okay, so sex is not a spectrum and there's nothing in between. The majority, the vast majority um, of people who are born with um, disorders of sex development are able uh, to be diagnosed as either male or female. But yes, there is a rare group of disorders that affect the appearance of the genitalia and or the reproductive system. And uh, so there is a rare group of individuals who will need medical attention uh, for that. Completely separate from transgenderism, which is purely in the mind. People who claim to be transgender actually claim that they're this masculine or feminine essence trapped in the wrong body. And that has far more in common with um, other disorders, which you alluded to, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, um, and in particular, uh, there are people who know they have normal bodies, but are convinced that they are disabled, and they will seek out surgeons to amputate limbs, or to even try a, a slice their spinal cord so that they'll be paralyzed. Those people are called uh, have a disorder called body identity, uh, I'm sorry, body integrity identity disorder, um, or colloquially, they sometimes use the label trans-abled. Um, so, so if you want to cut off your arms, or your legs, you're recognized as mentally ill. If you want to cut off your breasts or penis and testicles, well, then you're transgender. That is how ludicrous, how politicized um, medicine has become. Yeah, well, I have to ask you about another slogan that we often hear, say, since you mentioned it. I mean, isn't the uh, belief about gender, isn't that just a social construct? So, um, it gets back to um, the multiple meanings of the word gender. So, one meaning of the word gender is a social construct linked with sex stereotypes. Um, so, you know, in, in, in feminism, um, you know, gender that says, you know, a woman must be genteel, uh, can only have certain jobs, must dress a certain way, for example. So gender has that meaning. But if we are talking about gender as a synonym for sex, um, no, sex is biological and it is innate and it is immutable across the lifespan. It is physically, medically, scientifically impossible to change anyone's sex. 
and and people do not have two things. You know, that's the activists are trying to say that human beings have a sex and a gender, which is this. Um, they say it's an innate, um, like brain sex. Okay, no, you cannot have your brain has the very same exact sex as your entire every cell in your body. There's no such thing as a brain sex and a body sex. You cannot be born into the wrong body. Hello, this is Andy Bannister, the director of the Solar Center for Public Christianity, and I'm delighted to endorse and uh, recommend the Ministry of Deeper Waters Apologetics. I've been hugely impressed watching the work that Nick has done over the years, building up the website and the podcast, the quality of the guests that he gets onto there. And I love the way that uh, the ministry challenges and encourages both Christians and those who don't have a Christian faith to really think through the claims of the gospel. I'm also impressed by just how Christ-centered and Nick is and all that he does. It's his desire to see people encounter Jesus Christ and the life-transforming truth of the gospel. So uh, more strength to them. It's been a privilege to know Nick over the years. And I hope Deeper Waters goes from strength to strength. And if you haven't yet discovered it, check out the website deeperwatersapologetics.com for yourself. Yeah, I, I think it's important that we do keep in mind that, you know, while sex is very specific, gender the way that people behave can sometimes be a bit different. For instance, okay. like if uh, if Super Bowl comes around here at our household, one of us at this household cares very much about the game, wants to watch it intensely, wants to know everything's going on. The other person says, yeah, I'm bored, gets out a book and starts reading except when the commercials come on. And if you think that it's me, who's one who's super excited, you've got things the wrong way. My wife loves the game. I can't stand it. Uh, so, uh, But, I mean, I mean, those kinds of things can happen, but it doesn't have anything to do with your sex, right? Exactly. And that's what's so crazy, is that the transgender movement is so anti-woman and anti-feminist. It's um, because transgen- the transgender movement is anchored around sex stereotypes. A boy who exhibits um, a more sensitive temperament or uh, effeminate um, tendencies will be told, oh, you're transgender. You know, we you can go online and you'll find other parents who are affirming their so-called princess boy because, oh, he always liked to dress up in the princess dresses and and you know the feel of my hair or his hair or whatever. It, it's crazy. It's it's enshrining, it's it's um subordinating biology to sex stereotypes. Yeah, I uh, I always like to joke with this kind of thing with how we've got men now participating in women's sports and say, yes, now men are not only superior at men's sports, men are also superior at women's sports. Right. And and this is why there there is a subset of feminists um, on the left who identify the transgender political movement as female erasure. Because men simply have to say, I am a woman, and now they can invade all women's spaces, women's sports, women's prisons, uh, women's shelters. Uh, It's erasing women in the legal sense. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd like to remind everyone at this point, you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast, 
And we got Dr. Michelle Cortella here talking with us about transgenderism. But along the lines of what she just said, next week, we're going to have on Brandon Showalter from the Christian Post. Now, I see you smiling. You know who I'm talking about, I can tell. I <laughs> and we're going to be talking about tensions in the LGBT community, which is exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? Yes, among among feminists and especially um, now I've um, so I I know several lesbians and radical feminists who are deeply concerned about this movement, um, both from the point of view of erasing women in law and you know invading girls sports. I mean, completely undoing the whole Title Nine. Um, which protects girls in school sports, for example, um, but also, um, you know, alluding to the the homosexual within the LGB community, um, lesbians are being erased. I mean, if the body, you can't have someone identify as homosexual if the body doesn't count, like the whole, you know, trans, the transgender activists are saying, okay, a man who claims to be a woman is a trans woman. So a trans woman, who's who's actually a man, uh, can be romantically involved with a woman and identify as lesbian. I mean, it just makes your head spin. Uh, until, the only way to look at this is it's not science, right? Science is about material reality, but the body doesn't count. Material reality doesn't count. This is all, this is Gnosticism. Yep, my, my wife was asking me just to, just yesterday saying, okay, so we've got Bruce Jenner here. Bruce Jenner is um, is now identifies as a woman after a surgery, right. and he used to be a man, and he's dating someone who now is apparently a man who used to be a woman. So does that make him gay or straight or what? It's like, I, I have no idea what exactly. that makes him. Exactly. No, I think, yeah, he's dating, he's dating a man... Wait, a man who used to be a woman? Yeah, I, I, you're right. I can't, I can't keep it all straight either. But if he were, so I think they, uh, I think they would say they're heterosexual. But, but let's say, let's say, um, Bruce, you know, or Caitlyn Bruce Jenner. Caitlyn is is dating a woman. He would be identified as in a lesbian relationship. I mean, just so, so there. It's just it's mind it's mind bending, and and this is why there is um, there is conflict within the LGB. There's there's a movement LGB drop the T. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's talk some a little bit about Bruce here, because you know this guy for the longest time he was an Olympic hero to many people. What exactly happened to him? I mean, when when someone undergoes this surgery, what happens? Um, all right. So he had he, he had feminizing surgery done um, to his to his face, but of course, you're talking more about you know having. So he had testicles removed. He also would have had his his penis inverted i mean just mutilated i mean mutilation is the only thing to describe it so you, you have you get it, the the men are castrated they have their testicles removed the the penis is mutilated and the the tissue from 
the testicles and the penis are inverted to create a pouch, uh, you, you cannot make a vagina. All that's all that's made is is a is a pouch and a, a fake mm, a canal, if you want to call it. And um, it's not function. It doesn't function. It, they have to maintain that um, facsimile of a vagina. They have to dilate it daily. Um, you know, the tissue, there's no natural lubrication there. Um, body hair can grow back inside. I mean, we could, you can actually go on YouTube. People could YouTube uh, bottom surgery for men and find this explained in great detail. And it's obvious once you see that, you can also find videos. It's mutilation. It's pure mutilation and um, nerve function cannot be preserved um, perfectly. Uh, there are many uh, complications from a urinary perspective because the urethra obviously must be reoriented. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's not pretty. I have to say, I'm so thankful I don't have a webcam up and running right now, because if you could see me, you see, I'm grimacing and flinching this whole time right. you're talking about. It's like, I don't really want to think about this. So no, I guess you're no. telling me Bruce Jenner has a lot of health complications coming up, doesn't he? Hmm. I mean, he's he, he's got to be dealing with some right now that we're not. I, I, I mean, you know, daily dilations, not. Pleasant. So, now, this is a grown man we're talking about, but there are also kids that are going through this. And some extremely young kids who really couldn't even decide what clothes they're going to wear to school the next day. And they're going to make this decision so that their parents have to, in some cases. I think sometimes they're even ordered by courts to give them puberty blockers and then inject them with hormones. I mean, what's what's the, the long-term effect of this? I mean, we haven't even really studied these, have we? Right. So there's no, there are no long-term studies of giving um, children who are confused about their gender identity. Right. There's there's no long-term studies about giving normal. Th- those kids are physically normal because puberty is not a disease. Uh, no one's ever put a normal child, you know, a physically normal child on puberty blockers. And no one has ever given boys astro- you know, supra physiologic doses of estrogen or, or girls super physiologic doses of testosterone because why would you? Um, but we do know we do know the negative effects of these medications based on their appropriate uses. Um, so, for example, if if there's a child who enters puberty too soon, that is a disorder. Therefore, we give them 
the medication, Lupron, to halt puberty until the age is appropriate. Oh, okay, so let, let me so just let me just pause right there to get some clarification. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What kind of age are we talking about? Is too soon, and uh, what what are the dangerous effects of that? So suppose you you have a child who is showing signs that they're entering puberty at age five, six, or seven. That would be an example of okay. If they if they they're tested, they definitely have have precocious puberty. Then FDA has approved the use of puberty blockers for that disease. Um, the the negative side effects of the disease precocious puberty. Um, there, of course, there, there's social emotional consequences, uh, psychological consequences, because they're going to, through puberty when their peers aren't. And growth-wise, the the um, the bones the bones stop growing. They'll be extremely short uh, and small. Uh, for example, now puberty blockers in the case of that disease allows them to grow and progress normally alongside the trajectory of their peers until age 11, at which point they're taken off the medication and nature takes its course. So even even when the Lupron is used appropriately for these kids, we are finding, you know, and the FDA did approve it because there's always risks that the, the idea is that for the majority of people, the benefit outweighs the risk. Um, but there is an increased risk of osteoporosis or severe bone fractures in girls once they're in their 20s and that's being traced back to the Lupron um, in in boys with precocious puberty, when they're treated with uh, appropriately with the Lupron, there seems to be an increased risk of obesity and testicular cancer later in adulthood. Those slight elevation. So it's one thing when you take the risk to treat a disease, but these kids who are confused about their gender identity, they're going through normal puberty. And and puberty, by the way, normal puberty is an extraordinarily important developmental time frame during which most of these kids, we're talking over 80% of them, will work out their confusion and come out accepting and identifying with their sex by late teen years or young adulthood. So we give them the blocker. We're putting them at risk for complications. And we're also locking them into their confusion because we're not letting them develop as their biological peers are. And and there has been a study, the, the, the single study we have of kids who go on puberty blockers found that 100% of them then identified as transgender and asked for the sex change hormones. So you go from having over 80% of kids confused about their gender identity, over 80% of them 
if they go through natural puberty, will accept their sex to 100% of the kids who went on puberty blockers and were studied, identified as transgender. So this is not a benign, you know, this is, this is not a harmless, reversible thing. Now, what I understand is that the amount of population that suffers with this kind of thing is uh, about 0.3% or so of the population. And there's something odd going on when it be- it seems to become a fad, such as one teenage girl will decide she's really a boy, and lo and behold, all, all of her best friend girls will suddenly decide the exact same thing. And they all decide together they need to be treated and become boys. Right. And I, I think, you know, we all recognize that um, propaganda, okay, let's, advertising, I'll, I'll be less, advertising works, right? It works on adults, and it works really, really super well on kids. And um, that's why when it comes to things like smoking and drinking and drugging, um, we require or um, that the advertisers not advertise alcohol or cigarettes to kids. We get on the backs of Hollywood and say, hey, don't put these behaviors in movies and programs geared for young children, right? Because we know, and we have the studies to prove it as well, we know intuitively and we've got the science to prove it, kids act out what they see, what they hear in music, um, social media, et cetera. They pick it up, it's subliminal, and you get this social contagion where um, they influence each other. And it's not always consciously either but they'll influence each other in school. And this is what we have seen with the transgender movement. We are we have seen um, entire peer groups coming out at schools. I had a mother contact me who said um, her teen daughter um, had just come out trans and, and the mother said, I just learned that 5% of her school is going through this. That's outrageous. Because as you pointed out, we're talking, you know, Previously, prior to the whole transgender propaganda push, this was less than a fraction of a percent of kids even ever impacted. Uh, and and yeah. here we have an example of 5% of the school is coming out trans. Are you kidding me? This is nuts. Um, in, in the UK, in less than 10 years, um, now the UK has a single gender identity clinic in less than 10 years, the percentage of uh, referrals among girls asking for a sex change increased over 4,000%. So you know that, you know, as you said, it's socialization that is driving this first and foremost.
I'd like to remind everyone at this point <clears throat> that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. Everything we do here is supported by listeners just like you. And if you want to help us out in our mission here to bring the best information out there to people like yourself, then please uh, go to our website, deeperwatersaprojects.com. There's a thing on the side that says help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click there, you get taken to the ministry of Risen Jesus. You're at the right place, dear. Those are my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. You make your donation, and then you get in touch with me, or my wife, Ari, or Mike, or Debbie, and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. We will give that donation. It will be tax deductible. You can also buy some ebooks. One that I've written, A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed in Today's Christian. And some that I've co-written, Defining Inerrancy, Grounding Inerrancy, God and Natural Disasters, Groundlets, Christian Answers to Rich Generations Questions. And if you can't do any of these, please consider just going on iTunes, leaving a positive review of our show, sharing it with friends, anything you can to get the word out about us. Now, um, Dr. Cortella, do you have any organization or charity you'd like to see people donate to? Um, well, sure. We, um, so the, the American College of Pediatricians, you can find us online at acpeds.org, acpeds.org. Uh, and um, please feel free if uh, recommend us to your pediatricians, um, uh, other family practice physicians also join us as as well because they care for they care for kids and um, if you are a parent or just someone who cares deeply about children you can also sign up to be a friend of the college um, and any any donation um, no donation is is too small and as a friend you will receive our newsletter parenting blog um, and press releases. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Katera, I found out about you mainly through the Dr. J of the Roof Institute. And we just had an interview for a few weeks ago about the whole sexual revolution. And I think what you're saying here very relates to this because I think if this kind of topic had something to do, if it didn't connect with sex in any way whatsoever, mm-hmm. I think we'd all recognize that it's it's not healthy. I mean, you talk about how we have all these warnings on, for kids about smoking and drugs, and I'm not against those, but by God, we don't seem to have any warnings about sexual activity outside of marriage, and look at the STD rate going on right now. There seems to be a disconnect there somewhere. Uh, yeah, and we would we would agree. The American College of Pediatricians agrees. Um, and the thing is, the science is on our side. So it, it, the American College of Pediatricians, for example, has... Uh, reviewed the scientific literature on um, sex education in schools in America um, and looked at programs that um, come from a um, abstinence until marriage versus versus the so-called comprehensive sex ed. And the fact is the comprehensive sex ed programs fail across the board. Um, Whereas programs that teach children to value themselves as a gift for their future spouse, um, focus on relationship 
skills and character building, et cetera, um, are far more holistic, are still medically accurate. You know, you can still, you can work, you can work with parents um, and teachers and students together, provide med medically accurate information to everyone. Um, and, and teenagers are not animals. They are capable of being helped to make the healthiest choice. It's called sexual risk avoidance, sexual risk avoidance. You know, we, we don't, we don't teach kids to, oh, here's how you can smoke safe. Um, and I guess that was the, that was the ploy of the e-cigarette companies, right? You know, but, um, doesn't work, does not work that way. There's no way to smoke safe. There's no way to have extramarital sex safe. Someone always gets hurt. Well, when we do encounter people who really do have this gender dysphoria, really do think they're of the opposite sex instead, and what, what can we do to help them? So, again, if, if we're dealing with the youngest children, if we're, if we're dealing with children who are prior to puberty, um, most of those young children could be helped to, um, can be affirmed as the true son or daughter they are, the true boy or girl that they are. Um, and the goal would be, um, ideally through counseling to help them get through their natural puberty where they will naturally embrace their sex. Um, for older teenagers, um, sometimes for the younger kids as well, there can be um, other mental illness that is triggering the desire to be the opposite sex or the belief that they are. Um, Sometimes it may be post-trauma, it may be traumatic stress, um, severe depression, severe anxiety, um, uh, obsessional thinking from autism spectrum disorder. Um, in general, counselors who are successful, who work with this group, will treat the underlying disorder, affirming the child in every way without affirming, you know, so, so no changing the name, no change it. They, they may agree on a nickname. They may agree on a, on a nickname, but they, they won't use opposite sex pronouns, for example, um, or affirm the transgender identity. But in general, treating the underlying disorder will oftentimes allow resolution of the gender dysphoria to follow. Yeah, I, I find it interesting you mentioned that because actually my wife and I both are on the spectrum of autism. Both of us have Asperger's. And mm. it, it's quite interesting because with our condition, I don't expect the world to change necessarily to cater to me. I mean, I would expect maybe my friends and family to understand, yeah, there are some special circumstances going on here, things like that, but I don't expect the world to change. It seems like when it comes to things like transgenderism, we have this idea everyone else has to change to fit around the new mindset. Right. I mean, they're demanding that we play along with their 
call it a fantasy or a mental illness or delusion, you know, you choose your label. Um, it's not real. We, we can't go along with it. They're, they're demanding that we lie along with them. There's no love in that. Love, love does not lie. We, we love people in truth. Mm -hmm. So how do you think we can treat our friends who do claim to be transgender? I mean, my wife and I have a, a really good friend who says he's transgender as well. And we try to not get into the subject because, you know, we're not debaters. And he, fortunately, he's been very kind to us and said, you know, whatever opinion you hold, that's fine. And he knows we disagree with it so we can talk openly, but not everyone's the same way. How, how should we communicate with people who are thinking this way? I think, I think what you and your wife are doing is all anyone can do. We have to be honest. Um, and you're going to lose, I mean, the hardcore, hardcore transgender activists are not going to be nothing less than complete capitulation will satisfy them. So you'll lose those friends. And in my mind, those aren't true friends. Um, uh, and it's, it, it, I think that's what we, you know, everyone, I think, especially Christians, everyone wants to be liked. Oh, we want to be nice, but truth matters. And we can't, we can't sacrifice the, the truth. Um, you know, I mean, you can go along with names because, well, some names could be gender neutral. And but I, I could never personally uh, go along with false pronouns because he can only mean he and she only means she. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, I do, there are some members of the trans community um they consider themselves part of the trans community, but they've, and they've written me, emailed me and said, but Dr. Pertella, we agree. We, we object to what's going on with the kids and we don't believe in taking over women in invading women's spaces. We know we're still men. I mean, there's, there's a couple who wrote me, we know we're still men. Um, but we honestly just feel better this way. They know they're impersonating women. Um, uh, we just want to get along, you know, we want to respect and, you know, you, um, ideally they would find, uh, ideally they would find, um, therapy and counseling, um, and, and, or spiritual community that would help them, but no one, you know, we're not perfect. There's no perfect answer for, um, healing psychological. There's no easy answer, I should say, for for healing every single case of of emotional or psychological illness, um, or even physical illness, for that matter. So, as adults, the the ideal thing is to be able to respectfully disagree. Mm -hmm. It strikes me also that we've got a problem here if we keep going down this path, because. If this really is a disorder, which I think it is, 
then not only are we enabling people to keep going and living with this disorder, we're not able to properly deal with the problem. We're in essence enabling someone right. and I don't think it can be good for us to enable and, bad behavior anywhere down the road. And, and also prolonging their suffering. Um, it, for many, so based on some studies out of um, Sweden, there have been a couple long-term, very long-term studies out of Sweden. Um, it seems that for adults who go through this, the transition uh, of impersonating the opposite sex may have this honeymoon period where they feel relief. But but as you say, you know, the underlying issues are not ever treated. So when you go 10, when they're 10 years out from surgery and hormones, 20 years out, 30 years out, now at that 10, 20 and 30 mark, their, their completed suicide rate is 19 times greater than the general population. So it's not a kindness. Um, you know, even despite that brief little reprieve or honeymoon, it's, it, we're ultimately prolonging their suffering and not decreasing their suicide rate. Where do you think all of this is going to end up? Because I personally think we can't go down the path of delusion much longer without having things collapse at some time. Where is this going to end? Well, unfortunately, um, I think things will get worse before they get better because this is very lucrative. Um, doctors and and also because it's a it's an it's an elitist movement. It's being financed by multi-billionaires. It's um, it's big money for big pharma. It's money for the doctors involved. Um, I think we will finally start to see a slowdown when enough, I mean, sadly, when enough children have been sufficient, have been damaged um, and they get to be of age where they can sue. Eventually we will see lawsuits against the doctors and the clinics. Um, and it's, it's really sad, but that seems to be the American way. You know, it, it, uh, People aren't moved by facts, they're moved by stories. And we are seeing increasing numbers of, or hearing about, it's all still under the radar, increasing numbers of especially young women who transitioned as teenagers and are now waking up saying, hey, I never was a man, I never was a boy, I never, I've always been a girl and a woman now. And because of the sex, because of the testosterone, uh, they have a permanent five o'clock shadow. They have in one woman's parlance, she said, my voice is broken, right? They, they can't get their voice back. They can't, you know, their five o'clock shadow is permanent. They've undergone mes double mastectomies. They can't get the breasts back. Uh, and, you know, they're, and they're, uh, many of them are infertile. Because if you go from puberty blockers as a young child directly onto the, the cross-sex hormones, um, your ovaries, if you're female, never mature, so you don't produce eggs. 
And if you're a boy who goes on blockers followed by estrogen, uh, you never develop, uh, your testicles don't mature and you never develop mature sperm. So if you finally are fortunate enough to desist or wake up to reality as an adult, you are permanently infertile. What can we do politically about this? I think, you know, I always, I think in terms of grassroots, so, um, and more in terms of education. Um, so I'd say go online, visit ACPEDS, um, share this podcast. Also go to, I want to promote, I am not affiliated with them, uh, but I'm aware of them because it's a parents group, the Kelsey Coalition. Uh, and I can send you, I'll, I'll email you their website so you can post it along with the podcast. Um, they are a group of parents. Um, I believe there's roughly 300 of them now. They continue to grow who have children who have been um, fallen prey to the transgender um, movement. And uh so change starts with education. It starts with connecting with fellow people impacted by this. Mm-hmm. And so I think you just answered a bit about where we can go for more information. I was going to ask you about that as well. I, I guess one political, so strengthening anything, you know, I'm not, I'm not a politician or a legislator, but I suppose anything that could strengthen parent rights against um, controversial medical interventions, you know, might, but again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a legislator or politician, so I don't know, but education is key. The more we can get the word out um, about the damage done by, you know, I mean, when puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones together, we're talking infertility, we're talking sexual dysfunction, um, cardiac disease, strokes, diabetes, high blood pressure, um, even cancers. I mean, these are major, major illnesses that we're setting children up to have down the line during their adult lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I personally think that it looks like our nation is going down this route like, redefining marriage and all that stuff. I was trying to believe actually that there's really a silent majority that's opposed to all of this. Do you think that could be true and that we could all work together if we were willing and actually change things? Um, on the transgender issue as it concerns children, I deeply believe that there is a strong majority across the political spectrum and that um but people are afraid because this is an elitist movement it's a top-down uh movement uh people who speak out particularly well y- you risk your career uh you risk your social circle social status you know harassment etc um but i am seeing some signs that make me quite hopeful that people are, that this is a step too far and um, 
that we're going to start seeing more courageous uh, folks coming out to do the right thing. Mm. Yeah, Dr. Cotero, we don't have enough time to ask another question here, unfortunately. So uh, I'll go ahead and just start wrapping things up. Do you have a blog, a website, an email where people can go and find out more if they want to know more about you and your work? Yeah, uh, yeah. so please go to our main website, which is acpeds.org, acpeds.org, and go to the Contact Us uh, uh, button on the top far right, and you can sign up for our um, our blog. And you can also become a friend of the college, and at which point you will receive our um monthly newsletter as well as our uh, twice monthly parent talk uh, newsletters and uh, keep abreast of uh, parenting news. Mm -hmm. Do you have any final words you'd like to leave for Deeper Waters audience today? (sighs) Just thank you so much for having me on, for allowing me to um, shared uh, about this this very grave issue um, and I urge your audience to um, share what they've learned today with others in their lives um, protect the kids in your lives uh, this this agenda is in every single school system um, it's including it's it's seeping into Christian schools as and Catholic schools as well so uh, Parents, grandparents, be very uh, proactive. Have conversations with your children's teachers, the school principals. Um, show up at meetings. Uh, it's a very dangerous ideology. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Tara, thank you for coming on. I hope we'll see you back here again sometime. Oh, thank you very much for having me, and you have a great week. And I'd like to remind everyone that next week, we're going to have Brandon Showalter on talking about tensions in the LGBT community. For now, I am Nick Peters, I affirm the virgin birth, and I am signing off.